Dar Well, I have, I've been robbed three times in my lifetime. Um, first time was in Lubbock, Texas, Robin. I'm pointing at you. I'm thinking Lubbock. We got some other Lubbock kind of people back here. Um, oh, back in the day, we had a Dodge Caravan. It was a sweet ride. Uh, you know, it was back in the day when you got all those kids, you get the minivan. And so one day I left Post, Texas, and I drove to uh, the Baptist Association building kind of on the north side of Lubbock and parked in the parking lot, went into my little Baptist meeting for about two hours, and I came out and I rounded the corner. And I was thinking, wow. I thought my car was right there. But my car was not right there. And you know, you're kind of in this point of kind of disbelief. You're trying to process this. I parked my car there. I locked it. I go inside. I come out. There's no car. You know, I know that Amy has not come from Post Texas to borrow the car. And uh, sure enough, it's been jacked. Uh, we filed the police report and about two days later they call us Mr. Smith uh, are you the owner of blah 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 yes sir and well we found it it's been trashed you know they keyed it whatever they do um, they partied in it obviously when we got it back uh, this was not the remains of our lifestyle that was left in the van. It, the upholstery had been slid up, you know, and uh, it reeked of several smells. There's no reason to go into details there. Um, you know, I, I remember the sense of just feeling violated. And quite honestly, now, y'all remember last week I said the pastor's cheap? Y'all remember me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? I don't have money to buy another van and we fixed the van up but really there was there was a point there emotionally in the process we said we've got to get rid of this van we just it has all kinds of bad memories in it uh, and eventually God blesses us with another minivan whoa we upgraded so the first thing I ever I can really think of of my three times I've been robbed was our Dodge Caravan in Lubbock Texas Second one's a little more personal to me, relates to Coach Hill. When, after we had moved here, Coach Hill um, had a trailer, about a 10-foot trailer out in his backyard, and it was in disrepair, and, um, but I don't know how the conversation came up if I brought it up like, hey, Coach, uh, what are you going to do with that trailer over there? I don't remember how it went down, but Coach gives me this trailer. Now, it needs some work. That's all right. And so I, I brought the trailer home to our house on Shadowwood and uh, put it kind of at the end of our driveway, which is kind of in our backyard, but side yard. And I started the process of renovation. So over the course of several weeks, I replaced the decking on that and 
when I had time and then I rewired it and did lights. It was about Labor Day as I remember. I don't know why I remember that. But I'd spent several weeks and I hadn't put a lot of money in it but I put some time into it and Oh, say that I finished that up on a Saturday. Monday morning, I walked out my door and went, Oh, wonder who borrowed my trailer. <laughs> you know, you're still just kind of processing. Oh, when I went to bed, my trailer was sitting there, and now my trailer's not there. I'm thinking, who in the world would borrow my trailer? Well, I don't know his name. But the reality is that he has not returned it to this day. Uh, that one kind of made me mad. Because all I can envision, I know this is tacky of me, there's some redneck guy that lives out in my neighborhood who every day is driving by watching me work on this trailer. <laughs> oh, no. He's going, well, he's not finished with it yet. He keeps driving back and forth. Oh, he's working on lights today. Doesn't look like he's finished. I'm gonna, as soon as I, I, I guarantee it was within two days of me finishing that trailer. It's gone. Anyhow, still a little, still a little bitter about that. Partly because I kind of put some work in it to, and some time into it. Third time, um, somebody broke into our house, our back door. Uh, this has been several years ago, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, I don't remember exactly, but once again, you know, we, one of the interesting things, Amy, you left your cell phone at the house that morning, which was really odd. I mean, you know, it was charging and she went off to school, she was teaching at the time, it's really not odd, but anyhow, I, I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt that uh, her cell phone was beside her. You were charging it, of course, yes, yes, but... You know, once again, I come home for lunch, and you walk in the living room, and you go, oh, somebody borrowed my TV. <laughs> and my lap, these kids of mine, just ask me if you want to borrow my TV. I'm going, wait a second, no, somebody's robbed us. My TV, it wasn't a great TV, but it was my TV. Uh, laptop. A camera that, quite honestly, we didn't use. I tell you the thing that got me. They took my Africa backpack out of my closet to put stuff in. Oh, no, no that's getting personal. That's my backpack I take to Africa. Um, and so we, we report it, you know, to the police and all this, and we give them a list of the things that are stolen. And then we're walking through the house about two days later, and Amy goes, Daryl! They stole my coin, my, I'm sorry. <laughs> they stole my coin jar out of the kitchen. And we, you know, there, so there's this little coin jar in the kitchen on the counter where we put our change and we, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. And so when you're thinking about people jacking things out of your home, you're not thinking about your little coin. Uh, of all the things that we've ever had stolen from us, the thing that peeves my wife the most is they took her coin jar. <laughs> it probably had $22, $23 of change in it. And this is what, at our house, in the kitchen counter, we walk in, and I set my wallet, my keys, and I empty my pockets. 
And there's this little, and my wife has strategically placed this little container. There's a new one there now. Um, now, I don't have a lot of time to describe this, men. But isn't it convenient that my wife puts her coin jar right by where I put my change every night? Now, I'm just saying, guys, let's just talk here. Every time she needs some change, she opens up her purse and she's got a whole, there's a whole container in her wallet of all this change. You know, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but what I'm figuring is that's my change in that coin jar that she considers hers. <laughs> guys, I'm telling you, every day I empty my pocket. When I get up in the morning, that change is gone. And uh, anyhow, I'm not really that bitter about that. <laughs> but, you know, Amiel, I, I really, you know, but I'm, I'm sorry. It's her coin jar. Isn't that all my change in there? You're not donating. Anyhow, I'm sorry, y'all. I'll schedule some marriage counseling with myself this week, and <laughs> we'll, we'll work through some of these issues. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so every day, you know, and Amy, what Amy does is she takes that, and then you get to, at some point, you get to take it, or she gets me to take it, let's just be honest. <laughs> no, sometimes, some, oh, she's the, at the bank? Well, actually, I want to go, because at Huntington State Bank, they've got this neat machine, you know, and you feel like you're an eight-year-old boy. It's like, no, I want to go in and take the coins, and so they throw it in that machine, and you hear, you know, all that makes all that, y'all, is it just me? Okay, somebody else has done this. Okay, and I actually, I, I ask him how much it costs, and it's really, it's not cost-effective to have one at the house. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sure it's, that was a joke. It's thousands and thousands of dollars, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, you, you take it in there, and for Amy, that's kind of her mad money. And so for months, she collects the, these coins, and then it's kind of like, it's kind of like free money. It's like, oh, well. You know, we don't play the lottery, so you have your coin jar, you know, and at the end you get it. I'm really getting way off this morning. But day by day and week by week, Amy collects those coins in that jar, and then she takes it to the bank, and they count it, give her money for it, and it's like, oh, my, money I did, wasn't expecting. And of all the things we've ever had stolen, the thing that bothers Amy the most... <laughs> It's that coin jar. And the thing that bothers me the most is that trailer that I spent all that time fixing up and then they stole it. Uh, what I want us to understand today is that day by day, all of us are investing our time, our talents, and our money into something. And as we invest our time and our talents and our money in whatever that is, we need to understand that because of the choice that we've made of what we're going to invest in, that that treasure will also be where our heart is. Wherever, day by day, you put your time, your talents, and your money, just know 
that will be where your heart is. And more than anything else, God is concerned about where our heart is. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, same verses that we looked at last week, Brother Steve, I sent him my stuff. And he goes, you realize these are the same verses from last week and it's the same title? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's, just go with it. Same verses. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and for where your treasure is there your heart will be also one of the interesting things that I noticed from the words of Jesus is the phrase that he uses in verse 19 and verse 20 it is it is the phrase lay up lay up actually in the original language it's in the present tense which denotes continuous action so technically this phrase Jesus is saying stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth and then he says but be laying up continuous action treasures in heaven even quite actually honestly uh, <laughs> The, the original Greek, when it comes to verse 19, uh, I know, the force of the Greek in verse 19 is not just don't be laying up. The original Greek says stop laying up. This is a continuous action that is occurring. Stop it is the force of it. I'm sorry. Jesus says literally in the Greek, stop being in the process day by day of laying up for yourselves treasures on earth but be in the process day by day of laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven all of us have a choice of what we will do with the time talents and the money that God blesses us with and all of us are blessed I would assume all of us are blessed with the same amount of time. Uh, our talents are going to be different. And quite honestly, our money is going to be different. But God blesses us with time, talent, and money. And we have a choice of how we are going to invest that time. And the thing that occurs to me, and I want you to understand, is this is a day-by-day process. That's why I got the picture of Amy collecting those coins every day, and eventually we've got return on our investment. Um, every day you're making choices about your time, how to use your talents, and what you're going to do with your money. Every day. This is not just a once-in-a-lifetime or a point in time, oh, I'm going to do this. No, these are choices, and maybe you don't even think about them now, but the reality is at some point, consciously, you made a choice about how you are going to be in the process, day by day, laying up treasures 
The question is, this comes to the second aspect of this, is where is the location of that treasure? And Jesus gave two contrasting locations. You can be investing your time, talents, and money on earth, or you can be investing your time, talents, and money on a day-by-day process in heaven, either earth, on earth, or in heaven. The location of where we invest is very significant. It will determine whether our investment is temporal, which means has a limited time, or is eternal that has no end in time. If you were thinking about in your own life making an investment and you had the choice of either doing one that was temporal or one that was eternal and you were concerned more than anything else about the return on your investment, you would go, wait a second. I need to invest in those things which are eternal. And last week we talked about that, of how do we invest eternally. And the point is that if we invest the gospel in people, then there is an eternal return on that. People are the only thing on this world that will make it into eternity. Brother Mitchell, I'm sorry about your dogs, okay? We're going to have to talk about that later. You brought it up again in Sunday school this morning, okay? Like Jesus said, stop it. No, don't. Joking. And the way that people are impacted for eternity is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the good news that he brought through his death and his resurrection makes an eternal impact on people's lives. And as we invest the gospel in people, there is an eternal reward. Being, so Jesus' point is that we are to be in the process day by day of laying up our time, talents, and money in those things which are our treasure in heaven that are eternal. The point I want to get to today is in verse 21 where Jesus said, and this is kind of his final line in this particular discussion, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what I want you to understand, is that day by day you're making these choices about your time, talents, and money, and... I'm just telling you what Jesus was saying. Wherever you are investing that, whether it's in heaven or whether it's on earth, just know that your heart is going to be there. I think this sort of works in combination because actually we invest our time, talents, and money in those things that we love and we consider most valuable. But what I'm saying is over time, when you've made this investment day by day, just know that more and more of your heart is going to that place, whether that is an earthly investment or whether that is an eternal investment. Hmm. 
from the words of Jesus in verse 21, I want us to understand that your treasure will expose where your heart truly is. Your treasure will expose where your heart truly is. Does not matter what we say with our mouth. Just watch our lives and our lives will communicate where our heart and in turn our treasure is. Classic story later in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 19. A young man that is described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in different accounts as the rich, young ruler. A man that runs to Jesus, very religious, very wealthy. He's got it all together. He says to the teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What he was asking, how do I have treasure in heaven? Jesus talked to him about obeying the law. That was in the young man's wheelhouse. Boom. Like that answer. Teacher, I've done all of those things. Haven't missed it one point. Jesus was setting him up. The young man's perspective on life is that I am in, investing in eternal things through my righteousness that I do on this earth and so as I do good things and I'm obedient as I see I am storing up treasures in heaven until the punchline comes in which Jesus says you only lack one thing if you want to really have treasure in heaven What you need to do is you need to go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And in the original Greek it says, and you'll be stinking rich in heaven. It doesn't say that. I'm joking. That's the point. Man. No, just sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have great treasure in heaven heaven some of the saddest words in the Bible it says that the young rich ruler walked away from Jesus sad because he had great possessions that he was not willing to get rid of what Jesus does in the story is he exposes where the rich young ruler's heart is and it's not in the kingdom of God it's in his financial kingdom of his great wealth you probably remember Jesus said oh it is so hard for a rich man to get into heaven why is that because his heart day by day month by month and year by year his life has invested his time talents and money 
into an earthly treasure. More than anything else, God is concerned about where our heart is. But Jesus knew that wherever our treasure was, whatever we're storing up day by day, that's where our heart's going to be. So make a wise choice on what you're using your time, talents, and money for. I want you to know this morning that God does not want your treasure. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. But here's the kicker. If you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, you can't love your stuff before him. Because if you love your stuff and your possessions and your wealth first, then you can't love God. And God is a jealous God. He wants you to love him, and he wants you to love him first and foremost. Therefore, be very careful how you are laying up your time, talents, and money day by day. Because if we could examine our own lives in those areas, we would know where our heart is. The reality is, is that our life only has room for one number one. Life is not about balance. Life is about God being first. It's kind of interesting that in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about the needs in our lives. Some of you remember those verses where he talks about not, not worrying about what we will eat, what we will drink, or what we will wear. He says God will take care of you. God's going to take care of all those needs in your life. Remember the punchline? Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, what you will eat, what you will wear, your housing will be added to you. God will take care of those things. You put him first and foremost and all of your other needs. I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you today as your pastor, I didn't say that. You read it in Matthew 6. That's what God says. If you will put him first, he will take care of your needs. The question is, how do we put God first? How do we, how do we first as a church invest eternally? And we talked about that last Sunday. And we talked about the season of time that we are in as a church of our budgeting for the next year. And I told you that the challenge is to make sure that we invest in eternal things as a church. Not building our own kingdom, but building God's kingdom. That we're not, as a church, laying up treasures on earth instead of laying up treasures in heaven. We have to do everything we can 
to take the gospel to as many people as we can that their lives might be changed, that their eternity might be changed because that kind of investment brings an eternal reward. The question today is how do we do that individually? What is it that God expects of us? How does God want us to make him first? All through the scripture, God's standard of giving, and this morning we're talking about our money. Now there's three things. We've talked about investing our time, talents, and money. I want to apply this talking about money today. All through the scripture, God's standard is that he says the first 10% is mine. And I want to make it clear this morning, God does not say 10% is mine. God says the first 10% is mine. Uh, a tenth in the Old Testament is the word for tithe. The tithe is God's standard, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament because Jesus affirms that uh, if in no other place in Matthew 23, 23. God wants us to honor him first with our time, our talents, but this morning specifically, our money. The Old Testament scripture, Malachi 3, teaches us that that first 10% goes to the local storehouse, which Malachi 3 talks about being the temple. So, to honor God, you took the first 10% and you took it to the place which was God's storehouse, which was the temple. The New Testament equivalent to that is the local church, wherever you worship. The first 10% is God's and goes to the local, local storehouse, in our case, the church. Offerings are above and beyond that. I would contend this morning that 10% is a starting point of giving. And offerings go above and beyond that. I told you last week, I made several points. One of them, the only one you remember is the pastor is cheap. Uh, <laughs> the third point was that when it comes to tithing, I don't ask you to do anything that I have not done and do not presently do. I've left my financial giving statements here on the railings at the front. If you want to pick one of those up, you're authorized any time to walk in the church office and say, I would like Brother Darrell's giving statement for the last 19 and a half years, and Jeannie will print that out for you. Yours are confidential, mine are not. I want to be as upfront and transparent as possible. You can look at my tithes, and you can look at my offerings, what I've given. I want to be as out front as I possibly can. The reason God says the first 10% is mine is that he wants to develop an eternal heavenly perspective in our life, and tithing does that. It's not only God will I honor you with 10%, but God, I'm going to honor you with the first 10%. Let me say that because I've made much to do about the first 10%. This is the way it goes. 
we start with the perspective that says 100% of it is God's, that I don't have anything in my life that God has not blessed me with. Now, th this is very important because it really, if we don't start at this point, <laughs> it just doesn't work. But we start from the perspective that says, God, all of it is yours. And God, according to your scripture, you've asked me to give the first 10%. And so God, before taxes, bills, everything else, whatever it is that you've blessed me with, here is your, your 10%, which goes to your local church. Then God would want us to use the 90% in line with him. Uh, not so much just use it on ourselves, but obviously to meet our needs. But I believe there's also things that we do in that 90% that are above and beyond the tithe that God would ask us to do. That we use the 90% in a way that he sees fit. Now this is very important. When we start with 100% is God, and God, I'm going to honor you with the 10%, then we have, we have started down a road and a perspective that says, now, God, I also want to honor you with the 90%, however you would see fit. And God, I want you to give me wisdom in using that. And God, I trust you, according to Matthew 6, that you would take care of my needs. Not necessarily my wants, but my needs. One of the things that just kind of blows me away, if, and I'm just kind of a math guy, so I'm looking at this, I'm going, wait a second. What God realizes is that I could live on 90% of my income. So why does he bless me with 100%? So that I can give it back to him. I'm kind of a simple guy. That's just kind of a mind-blowing thing. That may be like, duh. The thing that strikes me when Jesus says in Matthew 6 that you are to be laying up, you know what it implies? You have excess of what you need. You can live on less than you are making, and you are some of it you are to be laying up. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can live on less than the 100% that you make. If you start from the premise that 100% is God's, the first 10% is His, God, you're going to help me live in the 90%. You have blessed me beyond what I need I mean, it's, it's like the quarter my parents gave me before I started becoming a tither. They gave me the quarter and I gave it to God. It really wasn't my money. I was just kind of a transfer agent to the little envelope, Jennifer. In, in Sunday school, there were the little small envelopes back in the day. And you had to check whether you'd read your Bible every day. You got 20% for that. If you were given, I don't know what you got for that what percentage. But, you know, you want to get 100%, Brother Melvin, is what I'm saying. You, you check the little box. Brother Sammy, you tracking with me? You, you were there, yeah. But the quarter they gave me before I started making my own money was really theirs and the crazy thing to me is God blesses us beyond really what we need so we can just give him back his 10% but what it does is it trains my mind to an eternal perspective that is contrasted with the other perspective that we can start with that says a hundred percent of this is mine And even if you're a nice, good little Christian, you go, okay, I'm going to take care of my needs. If there is anything left over at the end, 
I can give God out of that. I'm just telling you, the scriptural precedent is God says not just 10%. God says it's the first 10% because it sets us in our perspective of life in the way that we deal with money. But if we start with 100% of it is mine, what we do is we pay our bills and our taxes and all those things and we take care of our needs and our wants. And if there's anything at the end, then we have money left over to give to God. Hmm. I would imagine that leftovers are offensive to God. God said, no, I, wanna, I want you to honor me first. Therefore, the first 10% is mine. I will help you with the 90%. Let me tell you what happens. When we start with the premise that 100% of this is mine, then I spend it the way I see fit, and if there is anything left over, I give it to God. Let me tell you what will happen. If we start with that, we will spend our time, our talents, and our money the way we see fit and let me tell you the irony of it is there will never be enough. Because some of you are sitting there and saying, well, there's no way I can tithe because we're just barely making it now. And you've started from the premise that 100% of this is mine and I'm going to spend it the way I see fit and if there's anything left, I'm going to give it to God and I'm just telling you, you will consume all of it. I'm telling you, even from the other side of the guy that's 100% of it's God and first 10% is mine, the 90%, many days, we've said at our house, it doesn't seem to be enough. But I haven't missed many meals. I don't know if you've noticed that lately. I'm doing okay. I'm, yeah, we're all right. God takes care of us. But I'm telling you, if you start with 100% is mine and you spend it as you, it makes sense to you, you will consume all of it on what you deem are not only your needs but your wants and there will never be enough there is something very significant in God saying I want the first 10% and I will help you with the 90%. And my challenge to you is that as you give your tithe to this church family, which we're all in, in this together, and the budgeting process is all, it is, a, it is a family discussion and process. How is it that we're going to spend what God has blessed us with to expand his kingdom and to invest in eternal things that make impact on people's lives. I'm saying we will do the best we can in the wisdom of God to use your resources in a way that impacts eternity. I'm saying to you on a personal level, what I'm saying from the words of Jesus is that we will do everything we can not to lay up treasures on earth as a church but lay up treasures in heaven. But the challenge also comes down to you as an individual.
that you would also do the same. And when you give your tithe to the church, I believe is an eternal investment. Your 10% that God uses to take the gospel uh, all around the world and that it will have an eternal impact. Uh, I would say to you today, the reason God wants to do that is because he wants to make, he wants your heart to have an eternal perspective. He wants you to see life from an eternal perspective. And when we tithe, we start down the road for God being able to do that work in our lives. Amen? Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. We, um, we thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice.